Hi, and welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grantfield. So hello and welcome to episode six. It's great to be back with you and to be sharing more good news stories from around the world. So Dan, let's give people a taste of what's to come in this episode. So this episode, we've got stories about communities coming together, the environment, a brilliant business model, potential new treatments for cancer and discovery of a new species. Cool, that all sounds great. So before we kick off with our first story, I just want to remind people that we've got a Facebook page where you can get links to all the stories that we share on our podcast and you can find out more about each of those stories, but also you can share your own stories. So if you go over to Susan and Dan's podcast on Facebook, that's where you can connect with all of all of the stories. You can also get in touch with us directly. We'd love to hear from you. We really, really want to hear your good news stories. So my email address is susan at susangrandfield.com. And mine is dan at bluecraigsconsulting.com. Great. Okay, so let's get started. Dan, why don't you kick off with your first story? I certainly will. So from the world of medicine and treatment for cancer, scientists at Heriot Watt University in Edinburgh have developed ultra-precise lasers to remove cancers or cancerous cells without damaging healthy tissue. Okay. So as we know, most treatments for cancer involve damaging other parts of the body or healthy tissue, um, things like that. Mm. You know. So it relies on a series of pulses that are short enough to melt the cancer cells, but too short to transfer heat to the neighbouring healthy cells. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a major headache in this kind of field of trying to treat cancer without causing other problems. Mm. Um, As you might know, Harriet Watt has got form for discoveries, and it's actually where Alexander Fleming first isolated penicillin. Ah. So they've got a long history Mm -hmm. of breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. So Professor Jonathan Shepard, quite obviously a mega boffin, Mm -hmm. led the project which successfully eliminated colorectal cancer cells in lab tests and colon cancer is one of the most common cancers in, in the mm. um, developed world, should we say, mm-hmm. and in the UK especially. So he quote, he's quoted as saying, we proved in the lab that our system can remove cancer cells, that, but also restrict damage to healthy cells within the width of a human hair. Goodness. So, Pretty l- precise. What I would call laser-like accuracy, but oh. obviously more accurate laser-like yeah. accuracy. So they're building on from this. So as well as colorectal cancer, it could also be adapted for use in brain, head, and neck cancers, where obviously mm-hmm. peripheral damage is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it could provide huge benefits of treatment. They're also the same team is also researching a fibre optical uh, device that can target and kill cancer cells, and it can do that in a three times smaller area than the laser one. Wow, so, yeah. that's amazing. And, and and how close are they to this being more widely used? They've done it in a lab. Uh-huh. Um, and the next stage is clinical clinical testing, mm-hmm. uh, I presume, with human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, let's look out for that one. That yeah. could be a real um, advancement. Wow. Well, it sounds like good news to me. Yeah, any any advancement to fight against cancer yeah. is, a, is a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that thing about it being more precise so you don't damage the, yes. you know, the tissues yeah. around. Yeah. Cool. That's a good one to start with. Good stuff. Excellent. Well, I'm going to um, shift focus into the business world. So the thing I love about this story is that it is a business that is making lots of money, 
but it's not primarily about making money. Um, it's really about compassion in business. Um, and it's the, the business is Greystone Bakery, um, which is in New York. And it's New York's first B Corp or benefit corporation. Now, some of you might have heard of B Corps, um, but B Corps are basically organisations that are committed to using business as a force for good. So they basically sign up to this charter and, and a set of standards, which encompass everything about how, the, how they do business. And the whole thing is about positive benefits for all stakeholders, not just shareholders. So employees, customers, suppliers, the community, you know, it's, it really is about force for good. Um, if you've heard of Patagonia, the outdoor clothing company, oh, they're, they're a B Corp. Um, so Greystone Bakery, um, or Greystone Bakery, is um, it's a brownie bakery, it's a commercial brownie bakery, and it's pioneered an open hiring system. Now, it's founded on the principles of non-judgment, embracing uncertainty and loving action. And what this open hiring system is about is it guarantees a job to anyone who's willing to work. And the only sort of route in is you have to answer two questions. One is about your legal status um, to work and the other is about your physical ability so that they just know if there's any adjustments that need to be made. So literally two questions, that's the application Correct. process. So what happens is when people apply, they go onto a list and when the name gets their name gets to the top of the list, they are then given a six to 10 month paid apprenticeship and they're learning skills about working in a, a commercial kitchen. When, if and when they complete the programme successfully, um, they are offered a permanent position. Uh, you know, it's it's just, it's all about opening up um, employment to a wider range of people. They've created over 3,500 3, job opportunities, um, including for people like, you know, former prisoners who oh. would probably find it quite difficult to get employment. How many brownies do they make with that many people? 65 million. A year? Yeah, a year. Crikey. That's a lot of brownies. Yeah. Um, and Mike Brady, who's the CEO, um, this I think is really important as he says, we hire people without judgment and we let people go without judgment. So people are, are given this opportunity and if they're successful, they get a permanent position, but not everyone's successful. Yeah, okay. So it's not just a sort of, um, oh, you know, we'll, we... It's not a social enterprise. Exactly. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a commercial business, but with a real underpinning of um, opening up people's... Uh, opportunity. It's all about giving everyone an opportunity, whether they take that or not, or it succeeds, the relationship between the two is, the, is another question. Exactly. So, so Mike Brady says that basically what he wants to do is flip the narrative about who is employable on its head and create pathways for more people to enter into the workforce. Um, so what they've done is <clears throat> the, the business model is working so well for them that they've created a centre for open hiring, which is developing best practice. And it also advises other businesses on, on how to follow this sort of approach. I mean, sales have doubled in the last five years from 10 million to 21 million. So it just shows that doing business for good is also financially rewarding. Yeah, really interesting to see what the levels of engagement are as well, uh, providing people with that, with that yeah. amount of a non-judgmental opportunity. Yeah, and once you're employed, um, it, it's not like, it doesn't end there. If people are experiencing any difficulties in their lives, then there's a lot of support that they offer if it's housing or childcare or mental health. So brilliant. it's just brilliant. I, I, I love it. And I love that they're now expanding this out to try and support other people uh, and other businesses. Yeah. There's more and more people um, doing this B Corp thing um, and I think that's really you're putting a good focus on to corporations to actually think about what it is they're doing 
Um, and I know B Corp has been around for a while, but it seems to be <clears throat> every now and again a company announces that it wants to be a B Corp thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's obviously a good thing as well. Yeah, I think yes, it's people, it's businesses thinking about their purpose beyond just making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. So back to you. Okay, so from the world of wildlife. Mm. So the smallest reptile on Earth has been discovered in Madagascar. So again, it still amazes me that we're still um, finding new species. I'm not surprised this one took a while because it's only 13.5 millimetres in length. Oh my goodness. And it's called a Brachycia nana or a nano chameleon. So it's a subspecies of chameleon. Mm -hmm. Um, And its body is 13.5 millimetres. Its head to tail is 22 millimetres. Okay. The female is bigger as quite often seems yeah. to happen in the, in the animal kingdom so at around 29 millimeters right. so it's still very small it's tiny it's only found in an already degraded um, mature rainforest in northern madagascar um, but now it's been discovered the area's been protected ah. so which is great so they're very quick to to, to act mm-hmm. and the fact of discovered new species has also meant that, that area is now protected yeah so holiver Horlitschek, mm. uh, a boffin at the Centre of Natural History in Hamburg, um, said the, ha- the, the habitat has been subject to deforestation, but the area is now protected. Yeah. Um, and in a blog post, Dr. Mark Schurz called it a spectacular case of extreme miniaturisation. <laughs> nice, I like, like that. something out of a science fiction science film fiction, that someone's yeah. blasted it with yeah. a ray and it's gone small. Yeah. And it, <laughs> It violates the pattern of tiny animals being limited to small islands. So normally small animals ah, are on small islands. This, okay. this is on the mainland of Madagascar, although mm-hmm. Madagascar is an it's, island, it's a yeah. big island. Um, so the new question for these boffins is what has caused this miniaturisation? Mm. Oh. So miniaturisation, so are they suggesting that it's, it's the, the species has just evolved to be smaller, I think so. Yeah. So why is why has it become so small? Mm. Um, obviously, evolution takes millions and millions of years. So it's not another thing that we're going to put down to climate change yeah. or how we've adjusted the um, the environment. But it may the humans interacting with the environment may have had a factor on it. Mm. So that'd be interesting to see what further research comes out. It's quite yeah. a cute looking thing. Yeah. It looks as you might expect. It's a little kind of tiny chameleon. Uh-huh. Um, the photograph, it's on the BBC News um, website actually. It's, uh, it's interesting. Mm. Interesting. Cool. I like that. Extreme miniaturisation. So sticking with um, the environment. Um, so this story is... You know, we, we, we're all about good news stories here. Um, we accept that we are in the middle of or at some point uh, along the way of this pandemic. But it's it's good to look at things that are coming out of this experience that potentially have longer lasting effects. You know, you might think that with the, the impact that the last year has had on our lifestyle and, and financial strains for many people, that sustainability, the environment, these kind of things might drop down people's priority list because they're in survival mode. But actually, a global survey um, from Accenture last year found that um, we have dramatically evolved our purchasing habits. So 60% of people are making more environmentally friendly, sustainable or ethical purchases since March 2020. And 9 out of 10 of those people um, said that they were likely to continue with those new um, purchasing habits. Also, um, a study by a research group, Kantar, said that the that since 
um, COVID-19, sustainability has become more of a concern for consumers than before. Um, 65% of respondents told an Ipsos Mori survey that um, it's important that climate change is prioritised in the economic recovery after COVID. So it's so people's mindsets are shifting and I, I think it's really interesting uh, my sort of interpretation um, of, of reading that is that we've had more time being at home more time to think about what we really value what's important slowing down a bit means it seems to mean that that, that people are thinking a bit more about balancing what they buy how they spend their time with the bigger picture of stuff Locally, you know, locally, environmentally, um, at an environmental level, but also um, at, at that sort of macro global level as well. I think we've done that recently, haven't we? Not, uh, exactly, yeah. yeah, we have. We've changed, you know, our, our diet, what we eat, yeah. where we buy things from. I mean, your birthday recently, and I yeah. bought you, um, specifically bought you something from a, a, an ethical company. It's called um, BAM, and it's um, bamboo clothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure people have got an image in their head now of you dressed in bamboo, but anyway, we'll leave that with them. Um, like a big panda. I, something like that. I, I mean, I started buying things from a company called Up Circle, which is like for facial skincare, which is, mm. is vegan, mm. organic. So yeah, we have, we have changed yeah. things. In this article that I was reading, they're talking about this being a black swan event. Have you ever heard of a black swan event? No. Apparently, it's a surprise occurrence that has a major lasting impact. Oh, so black swans are very rare. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. and that's what this is. So, I mean, we know that, that certain, you know, organic food businesses are doing well, local businesses, you know, many of them are doing well, because people are thinking about how they, they choose to spend their money. So, it's really interesting to see, um, you know, how things are changing in this challenging time. How will things be as we move forward? Mm. You know, if, if we get drawn back into a busy, unconscious way of being, like yeah. many of us were before, will that change? But interesting. Real, real, really interesting to see that shift in mindset. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Interesting. Back to you. Right, so this is probably um, one of the most interesting, but also one of my favourite stories, I think, that I've come across. And I think, uh, basically... It's a couple of years old now, the actual action that led to this um, lady being awarded the award she's won, but she got the award last year, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd not heard of it before. So Namante Nkwimo is a female indigenous leader um, of the Warani tribe in Ecuador. So, and this is a real uh, David v. Goliath story, or should we say Davina v. Goliath story. Mm-hmm. Um, so... She's won, one of the people that won the Goldman Environmental Prize. And she's won that because she successfully lobbied the Ecuadorian government to cancel selling off areas of their ancestral lands for oil exploration. And she's managed to save half a million acres hmm. of Ecuadorian rainforest from that. Now, this is part of their ancestral lands, but obviously the Ecuadorian government's going, well, we kind of, it's part of our land, so we're going to sell it. But her and various other members of her tribe, now these, these are hunter-gatherers. They live in small settlements mm. in, in hunter-gathering. They're called clans, actually. Mm. You know, so it, when we talk about, as I mentioned, Davina versus Goliath, this is truly, you know, awesome what this lady's managed to achieve. Um, it's an area 
bigger than the size of London and Greater London. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a massive area that they've firms. Um, also, their lands neighbour the Yasuni um, Park, which is the most biodiverse rainforest in the world. Oh, right, okay. So, from both protecting ancestral lands, but also protecting a huge area of biodiversity and stop it from being basically ruined for oil exploration, which we shouldn't be still yeah. Ex- yeah, you know, yeah. exploring for oil anyway, should we? So the Wairani, um, 5,000 people, there's mm-hmm. 5,000 members of the tribe, traditional hunter-gatherers who live in small clans, as I said. Um, they now live in an area one-tenth of the size of their original ancestral land. So they've ba- basically been put in, you know, got, their area's got smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and smaller. My favourite part is historically the Wairani women made the decisions yeah. while men went to war. And that was her sort oh, of right. quote. So, and she said that when Warani women speak, everybody listens. Ah. So, very formidable mm-hmm. um, individual who's done good for her people, mm-hmm. good for the world, and also good for the influence of women, mm-hmm. especially female indigenous leaders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of which there's far more than you might think. Yeah, yeah. So, in our, we, we talk about the patriarchy in, in our society, when actually these ancient societies. Men yeah. weren't necessarily the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, we can learn from mm-hmm. you know the, the original people of the world, mm-hmm. should we say. Yeah. So it's a great story, there's, really, really interesting. There's loads in that story, isn't there? Yeah, so yeah. much yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And, and again, like so many of the stories that we share, it, one person, but not one person on their own, you know, yeah. one person's decision, one yeah. person's motivation, one person's mm. drive, and how other people, um, you know, come, come together and, and help them. Mm. And what she's also done, which is very common these days, uh, is she set a legal precedent right. for the protection of those lands. Ah, okay. So, you know, whenever you set a legal precedent, it means other people can do that yes. as well, and that case will be quoted yeah. and therefore protect more areas yeah. of. of biodiversity so and get people's land. how one person can influence yeah. beyond what they can That's possibly right. imagine. Like forest man. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. India, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Well, kind of linking in, in some ways to that idea of, of people coming together and, and supporting, there's um, a 29-year-old black man um, living in Nashville in, in America um, called Sean. And basically, he was... Uh, he, he was the, the neighbourhood he lives in, that his family have lived in for 54 years, is becoming more and more populated by um, white people and fewer and fewer black people, um, which isn't in itself an issue, but off the back of the George Floyd murder and then the sort of social media unrest, he was starting to become really concerned and scared about going out just walking in his own neighbourhood because there was this sort of focus on black black men um, and so he posted on Facebook how he was feeling about just walking around his neighbourhood and he was really surprised at the response. Many people said, look, I'll come and walk with you. So he was kind of kind of, sort of curious about this and he, and he put on Facebook a day and a time that he was going to go out for a walk. 75 people from his neighbourhood turned up to walk with him. Amazing. And he said it really broke through racial barriers because there were people of all different ethnicities there. Um, now he started doing this more regularly and the last walk drew in a crowd of 300 people so he started this hashtag walk with Sean and his intention is to go around travelling across uh, America doing these walks with Sean in in communities where black people have been 
uh, victims of, of crime and, and therefore black people feel uncomfortable about going out. Amazing. I mean, it, it's also it's a bit of a classic example for me again, where the media hunts down all the worst things yeah. to, to show us in the news. Mm-hmm. So you've got something like this, which shows the power of people, how good people are, you know, 95% of people, 98% mm. of people. And you put something out saying an appeal mm-hmm. for something that really matters and all those people turn up and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where they're from or what country they're from or mm-hmm. what colour they are, etc. Um, when we see the news about the US, mm-hmm. we see about these groups, you know, fighting with each other or armed militia and things like that. And then you realise those people, there's a very small amount of people, mm-hmm. but they get so, mu- uh, so much news uh, coverage that we mm-hmm. think they're, they're far more influential than they should be. Yeah. Whereas if you should turn it and the media should be focusing on this yeah. type of thing, bringing communities together and communicating a positive message. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the local media obviously heard of this story and they've helped promote it. And, yeah. and I think this is a, an example of where social media can, can be good and it yeah, can spread absolutely. good messages. But yeah. you're right, the balance is, 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 is still not where it should yeah. be. Yeah. And I want to finish on this story. So this is a local story. So Dan and I live in um, Creef, which is in Perthshire in Scotland. And there's a 98-year-old man called Danny Gannon who lives in Perth, which is just about 15 miles along the road from us. Um, He used to go to the bingo twice a week. um, But since lockdown, obviously, he's not been able to. And so he's not been spending the money that he would spend on his twice-weekly bingo trip. So instead of just keeping the money for himself or whatever else he might do with it, he was inspired to do something useful with it. And so he's been using that money to buy food for his local food bank. So every week, every week since lockdown started, he has gone to the food bank either with money or with a bag of shopping and he takes it there himself. And the staff have been inspired by him. So they bought him a birthday cake for his 98th birthday last month. Um, And Danny is quoted as saying, I'm nothing spectacular, I'm just doing my bit. And isn't that wonderful if we all just do our bit? Um, so, yes, let's leave this episode there on, on Danny, the 98-year-old from Perth, um, who can't go to the bingo, but he is doing something good for other people. Good stuff. Just love it. Good on, Danny. Mm. So there we are, end of episode six. Um, lots of great stories there to, um, to brighten your day, hopefully. Um, as I said at the beginning, please, please get in touch with your stories. So you can go to Susan and Dan's podcast on Facebook um, and, and put your, your thoughts in there or email us on susan at susangranfield.com or dan at bluecragsconsulting.com. And we'll see you again soon. Bye, Bye for now. Bye.